0: Okay. Philippians chapter 3 is where we are today. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to continue through our journey through this book. A book of joy and love. And in fact, the very first verse of chapter 3, he starts out again. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. So he's continuing that theme to have joy in the Lord. And Where is Paul writing this letter from? He's writing it from prison. And so that would be a hard place to have joy. And yet he models that for us, sets the example that regardless of our circumstances, we can have joy. We can have joy. Today, I want to talk to you about knowing Christ, knowing Christ. Oswald Chambers said this, and I love this. He said, Jesus Christ never asks anyone to define his position or to understand a creed, but who am I to you? Jesus Christ makes the whole of human destiny depend on a man's relationship to himself. You ever read your Bible and get done with it and and think, I don't understand anything I just read? Or maybe you come to church and you hear a sermon and you say, man, that was a little deep. I didn't understand that. Or Sunday school and right over my head. Well, I believe that the Holy Spirit will let you understand things as you need to. and, And as you grow, you'll get those things. But really, when it comes down to it, one day when we stand before God, we're not going to be quizzed on any of those things. What we're going to be asked is, who is Jesus? Is he your Savior? And, and there's something to think about when we talk about knowing Jesus, is you can know about Jesus and not know Jesus, right? You can know a lot about somebody, but not know them personally. And so that's one of the great dangers of going to church sometimes, is we know all about Jesus, but do you know him personally? Do you have a relationship with him? So let's look at our passage of Scripture today. Philippians chapter 3, we'll cover verses 1 through 11. And in verses 1 through 2, we find the first point that I want to bring out, kind of a common theme with the Apostle Paul. We even saw it in our Sunday school lesson. He warns against false teachers. And so I've labeled that point, no trouble. (laughs) We don't want any trouble from false teachers. And he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Uh, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. And look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And so Paul gives a couple things. First, he says, it's not troublesome for me to write the same things to you. He is sharing with us this joy that we have in Christ, and he's really emphasizing something that they're struggling with because of false teachers, and that is having a relationship with Christ is what everything's about. These, this group of teachers that he's addressing is a group that we don't really need to know the details of, but a group called the Judaizers. And they would come in and they would follow right behind the Apostle Paul. He would come and preach salvation in Jesus Christ and they'd come along and say, hey, that's great that you got saved, but here's some rules you gotta follow. And, and they would pull the Jews that had been saved back into the old ways and make them follow rules, which really was making them depend upon their works to get to heaven. He uses three phrases to describe these people. He says, look out for the dogs. And boy, that's an adequate description of a false teacher. They're dogs. They're ravenous. They will bite you if you get the chance. I was listening to a podcast the other day. It was interesting. It was a true crime type thing. And it was a guy who made millions of dollars in the mortgage loan industry by being a con artist. And he had done all sorts of things, but he finally got caught and he went up to that. But as I was listening to it, it reminded me of a broker that I had in the Bay Area. And he used to tell the real estate agents, he said, Mike, I want you to know. And he'd tell us all, he says, all mortgage people are snakes. <laughs> and some of them are poisonous. But he said, they'd all bite you. And really, that's what he's saying about these false teachers they're dogs and they will bite you if they get the chance. They are ravenous, and they are prowling around. He says, look out for the evildoers. That's a very strong thing, but he says, these false teachers are busy doing evil. They're not working for God. They're working against Christ and the gospel, and then he says, they are those who mutilate the flesh. Three times he says, look out for, look out, look out, beware. And the mutilating the flesh was the it was a double symbolism. It was going back to the Jews' practice of circumcision, how that they had to be circumcised. And so can you imagine if part of your new membership class at this church was, hey, we got to check and make sure everybody's circumcised or you can't be a member. They were making that a status for salvation. And the Apostle Paul says, no. And he uses the phrase, they mutilate the flesh, because he says that it's beyond what it was. Now they're destroying you. So he warns us against these. Now, sometimes we may think, well, false teachers aren't as big a deal today. They don't really come into to the church or to believers' lives like they did then. But it dawned on me as I was studying for this that I think false teachers are as big a problem as they've ever been. And one of the reasons is they have larger platforms than they've ever had. Today, a false teacher can raise some money and he can get on the radio, he can get on television, certainly. But let me suggest this. It is so easy for anybody to become a false teacher today. All they got to do is sign up for a Facebook account, an Instagram account, a TikTok account, and they go on there and they start telling everyone else what the Bible says and what God is. If you're getting your theology and you're getting your understanding of God off TikTok or those things, be careful because that might indeed be a false teacher you're listening to. And the danger in some of this too is we could become that teacher. We need to know God's word and share it with others. We need to get away from, well, I think this or I think that and get back to this is what God's word says. And so he warns these false teachers, And boy, he gives some strong teaching against them, doesn't he? They're dogs, evildoers. They mutilate the flesh. So that's the first no, is no trouble. We don't want false teaching. And so we stick very closely to this book, this book. The second no is no confidence. And in verses three to seven, listen to what he says. Um, Verse three to seven, for we are the circumcision, or we're the chosen ones, who worship God by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul says, we're God's people, and we put no confidence in our fleshly works. But then he goes about to describe his achievements. He says, man, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. When you're talking about a Jew and you look him up, he says, look it up in the dictionary. My picture's right there. I'm the one. Not only was I a Jew, but I was of a particular tribe. And when it comes to following the law, he says, I was blameless. But he shared these things, and he comes down to this one statement. He says, but all these things meant nothing. You know, we can get wrapped up in how good a people we are. Hey, man, I go to church every Sunday. I go every Wednesday night used to be Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and Thursday night visitation. And I'm there every time the doors are open. Boom, check mark. I read my Bible every day. In fact, I read through it every year. Check mark. I I pay my tithes. Check with Brother Leon. Check mark. And we go through these lists that we do. But then he says, but we don't put confidence in the flesh. It's not that we don't do those things but our relationship with God is based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul shared his credentials. He downplays them. And then he says something very important. Let me just share this. The economy of earth's kingdom is very different from the economy of heaven's kingdom. Think about what he said, and he uses this phrase. And three times in this passage, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Well, that doesn't sound right, does it? I had gain, but I counted as loss. He uses the phrase, I count everything as loss. Man, you just go through your your, your, your treasures at home and you stack them all up and you say, loss. That doesn't make sense. And then he says, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish, as garbage. You see, earth's economy is different than heaven's. You and I can gain all sorts of things in this life. We can achieve all sorts of accomplishments in this life. But in heaven's economy, those things mean nothing. The most valuable thing in all of life is knowing Jesus Christ. And once we come to that knowledge, it makes everything else seem a little less meaningful. Not that we can't have things and accomplish things. God wants us to, to do great things for him. But compared to this knowledge of Jesus Christ, these are nothing. In Sunday school this morning, I believe Brother Kevin opened up with this idea of what is, how do Christians get entangled in the world and distracted by the world and all these things. And one of the ways we do it is we put too much value on earthly things and just not enough on heavenly things. Paul uses the phrase, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. This is just beyond value. Could you put a dollar figure on it? I mean, when you think about it, your relationship with Christ, the fact that your sins are forgiven, the fact that you one day will spend eternity in heaven... The fact that Jesus walks beside you every step of the way, the Holy Spirit indwells you, could you put a price on that and say, well, it's worth a lot to me, but not as much as my pickup truck. Not as much as my house. I got a lot of equity in my home. Hey, we'd lose the whole world in favor of Jesus. I'd rather lose it all than lose him. There's a different economy. One author said, Jesus Christ is the center of everything and the object of everything and he who does not know him knows nothing of the order of nature and nothing of himself he's everything and if we really if we don't know Jesus and that's what Paul's getting at this is the center of this passage you must know Jesus and if we don't we're lost we're just missing So that's the second no. is no confidence in our flesh. It doesn't matter how many works we do, how many things we say, how much we give, whatever. Those things don't matter. Don't put confidence in them. Those aren't what's going to get you and I into heaven one day. The third no is a different no. It's not the N-O. It's the K-N-O-W. And it is that we know Jesus. And that's the gospel that will satisfy our souls. Listen to what Paul says in that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says, nothing compares to knowing Jesus his heart's desire and what his desire for this church is, is we must know Jesus Christ. And he says, I want to know him. I want to know about his resurrection. I want to experience the power of his resurrection in my life. I want to know Christ. And that goes back to our question, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? It's so important. And yet knowing God is almost impossible for man in one sense. He's the creator, and we're the created. How can we fully know him? God completely knows everything. He is omniscient, all-knowing, but you and I aren't. We don't even completely understand ourselves. You ever scratched your head and said, why did I do that? Men, it's Valentine's. You better be good this week. Get candy, get flowers, something like that. But men, just a quick question. Have you ever asked yourself after saying something really crazy to your wife, why did I say that? And how long am I going to be paying for that? There's a flower shop on Mooney. I always love it. They've got three different sizes of rose arrangements, and it says something like how how bad were you Or, or how bad was the thing you did wrong. And that's how you measure how much you spend on your flowers. We don't even understand ourselves. Why am I this way? Why do I behave this way? Maybe some of us, you know, we maybe struggle with emotions and we're up and we're down and we don't understand why am I always struggling to to keep my spirit up? We don't understand ourselves, but we serve a God who does. He created us and he knows all things. And what we need to do more than anything else, John Calvin in his institute said, in order for us to understand ourselves, we have to first begin by understanding God. And what we draw from that is, the more I study God, the better I'm going to have an understanding of who I am and how he created me to be. People that walk through this world and have no idea about God will never have any understanding about themselves, really. Not to any great degree. Isaiah 55 Listen to how God describes himself in verse 8 and 9. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How do we understand? How do we know Jesus, really know him, when he is so much greater than we are? As difficult as it is, God has still desired to make himself known to us. He's revealed himself to us in nature, hasn't he? We look around the world and we see things and we say, man, only a powerful God could create something like this. I stood beside a bed the other day after a woman had passed away And she had two daughters that were present, and one followed in her mother's steps and had actually gone to church and was still involved in church and was serving the Lord. And the other daughter, she says, I was the black sheep. I never really went to church. It's not that I didn't believe in God. And we got to discussing things, and she said, you know, I didn't have all the verses to tell me about God. She said, but I learned about God by watching my mom and dad. And I thought there is a lot of wisdom in that. You realize God reveals Himself in nature. He reveals Himself to us sometimes in other people. In fact, Scripture describes you and I as being made in the image of God. We are image bearers, we're a reflection of Him. We're flawed, we're not perfect, but hopefully we live a life in such a way that people get glimpses of what God is like by seeing us. And for those of us as believers, that's why we desire to live godly lives. That's what that means. I want people, when they look at me, to see love because God is love. I want people, to, when they look at my life, to see mercy because we serve a merciful God. I want people to see patience because our God is patience, patient. Calvin wrote about God's revelation to man that God accommodates himself to us. And I began thinking about that and doing a little research on what exactly did he mean God accommodates himself to us. In other words, he understands our limited ability to understand him, and therefore he reveals himself to us at our level. Generally, we talk to people at different levels, don't we? If you're two adults, you carry on, hopefully, an an adult conversation. Kathy and I have a lot of those. We'll sit and have coffee together, we'll pray together, we'll read our Bibles, we study our lessons together sometimes, and I'll ask her a question, and she'll respond, and she'll ask, and we have this conversation. Occasionally, her preschool teacher pops out of her, and I'll have to remind her, don't talk to me like a preschool kid. That's generally when I've done something bad. But it's a different story when she talks to Mason. She talks to Mason, and her voice changes. She's just all nice. She talks to Evie and Ella on the way here. She was even FaceTiming while I'm driving. And, and she's not baby goo-goo talking, but she's talking different than she talks normally. And I laughed about it. And she's, oh, I love you. And she's got her voice funny and all of this. And, and you see a mother with a newborn babe, and they talk baby talk to that baby. They're not lying to them. They, they're teaching their child things, and they're telling truth, but they're teaching them at a very simple level. And one author says, Essentially, that's what God does to us. He sees us and he understands our frailty, our weakness, and and how difficult it is for us to even begin to comprehend him. And so God, as Calvin said, accommodates us and he reaches down and he speaks to us in a simple way and reveals himself to us. You don't have to be a theologian to begin to understand God. You begin to understand him as he reveals himself to you. And he wants you to know him. The truth is, you and I will only enter heaven one day based on our knowing Jesus. Paul said we must be found in Christ in this passage. Not in the church, not in the club, not in this, not in that. I have to be found in Christ. We're not going to make heaven, he says, by our own righteousness. But he says by by a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what will get us there. And so we want to know and experience Christ. We want his power in our lives and especially the power to save us from our sins. Sometimes you have to know the right person. I'll tell a football story since it's Super Bowl Sunday. I've probably told this before, but I went to a 49er game, and I hadn't been to a lot. I considered myself a fan, and so my buddy took me with a couple guys from church, and we went, and we were going to try to get down on the field where the players were, and so we weaved our way through the crowd and got down so far, and pretty soon there's this couple big old security guards, and so the buddy that took me said, that's as far as we're going to be able to go, Pastor. I said, "Nah, we'll figure it out. And so I go up to the security guard and said, hey, I need to get on the field. And he says, you're not getting on the field. And I said, well, I'm here to pray with the team. And he says, you are? And I said, yeah. And I gave him my church business card, Pastor Mike. And he goes, well, he goes, I'll have to go check on this. And he turned around to leave. And I said, no, they, they don't know I'm coming. I just was going to volunteer to pray with them. And so I'm standing there kind of disappointed, and we started to give up and turn around, and here comes this guy, and he looked pretty official. You know, he's walking. He's got his suit on at a football game, so you know he's important, and he's walking. He's got a 49er logo on, and uh, he said, how are you guys doing? I said, real good. How are you doing? I reached out and shook his hand. And I said, I'm Pastor Mike, and I was going to try to pray with the team. And he says, oh, that'd be great. They need it. And I said, <laughs> And I said, are you with the team? And he says, I own the team. What do you say? (laughs) I knew who the dude was. I mean, I've heard the name. I knew the name owned the team, but I did not know that guy. I knew him so little that I couldn't even recognize him when I'm standing in front of him. I got back up to the seats where we were sitting, and, of course, my buddy had a big mouth, and he went up laughing and telling everybody in the seats... So I walked down the steps, and there must have been 50 people yelled out, Hey, are you with the team? (laughs) And I sat down, and I decided I'm never going to pretend like I know someone I don't again. (laughs) One day, we'll stand before God. And the most important thing on that day is that you know Jesus. There's nothing in life worth more than that. John Wesley said, the real value of a thing is the price it will bring in eternity. I think that really summarizes what Paul is saying. Everything I had, everything I did, everything I am, Paul said, meant nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Augustine said, Christ is not valued at all until he is valued above all. Maybe sometimes we have to re-examine our lives.